Well, you may have noticed there's some folks on stage with me right now. There's Pastor Will, who leads our worship. But in addition to leading worship, Pastor Will leads our outreach ministry. You may not know that we have a deep outreach in Kerala, India, where we have a church and an orphanage that we've built and a group of people there we just love with all our hearts. But this year, we were able to send a group of Four Corners people to Cuba. There's a church down there that we've partnered with, a ministry and a church planning organization. And we sent nine people from our church to go serve that that those congregations just recently. So Pastor Will, yeah. tell us who's up here and tell us what's going on. Yeah, hey, we're so excited that we we're able to send a group to Cuba. But many of you probably know that we have over 50 orphan girls, over 10 boys, over 40 pastors that are supported in India due to the generosity of this church. It's pretty incredible. incredible. But what's new here is that we've begun to partner with a pastor in Cuba. His name's Jose, and Jose is responsible for his church there. But in Cuba, it's pretty cool. It's not a church that looks like this, but it's a church that if you have a home and you're a Cuban resident and you're a follower and believer of Jesus Christ, you can have a church. And Jose and his wife lead multiple churches, multiple homes, actually 14, and it was our privilege to send nine four-seers to Cuba about two weeks ago, and three of them were brave enough, bold enough to come <laughs> to the stage to tell you a little bit about what happened there. And like all mission trips, and if you've ever been on one, like all mission trips, God continues to show up in crazy and awesome ways when you least expect it. You prepare, you prepare your heart, you prepare, prepare the plans, but God always does extraordinary things. So Pastor Melissa, tell us a little bit about what you saw, what you experienced, and as you do it, you're going to begin to see some photos of the trip that happened just recently. So um, Cuba was um, honestly one of the best weeks of my entire life. It is a beautiful place, but it is full of the most beautiful people. They are passionate. They love God. They follow him with every ounce of their being. They pray like um, I've just never seen prayer before. Um, and it was such an honor and a privilege to be with Pastor Jose and Yami, his wife, um, for that week, literally hours after we got there. And I think I can speak for every one of us. Um, we felt like we had known them for years, like we were a family. Um, they said the same thing about us. It was an instant connection. Um, and it was, it was, it was so evident just in the first night that we have so much more in common um, than we have differences. Um, and the, the honor that we had was, um, you can see there, we got to baptize people in the ocean. Um, we got to be a part of every aspect of ministry there. We didn't just go to watch and see. Um, they just invited us in to their ministry. So we had people teaching Sunday school classes. Um, our team was leading worship. Um, we were preaching. We were praying. We were baptizing. And so what an amazing opportunity um, to get to go there and see in this land that really is dark. Um, there's a lot of voodoo and witchcraft. The Santeria is very prevalent there. And um, to watch these people so passionate about worshiping God in the midst of literal chants happening across the street against them, and they stood there and just proclaimed Jesus. It was amazing. Hi, that is awesome. That's awesome. Judy, tell us a little bit about uh, what you experienced, what you saw on this trip. Okay. Well, for me, um, it's like, it was like coming home. Um, I'm Latina by birth. I was born in Peru and uh, lived the first few years in Chile. And so I got to use my Spanish a little, and it just was very familiar to me in that way, except for the 1950s cars, I guess. 
was really something. But um, I, the other reason that it felt like home is, I tell you what, anywhere that I've been in the world, when I get in the house of God, whether it's in a tent, um, whether it's sawdust floors, I'm there, as Will said. Um, they have church in their homes. They, they can't build churches there. And so uh, regardless, you feel the Holy Spirit. Um, and you feel like you're with your brothers and sisters, and it's so familiar. And it, it, to me, it's amazing that we can have different cultures and just still feel so so connected in that way. One of the things that had the greatest impact on me, and I don't think the local pastor even knows this, um, he said, um, you know what? He said, this seems to me, our church and the church in Cuba, like Aaron and Moses, we're working together side by side. And immediately when he said that, I thought of the scripture, um, the passage that has Aaron um, and, and her were holding Moses' hands up. And what I didn't see in the first service is that every time his hands would go down, why they were holding them up, they were losing the battle. And I don't know why, but for some reason, God chooses to use us. We need God, but we need each other. It's just the way in his infinite wisdom, for some reason, he designed it. And so I think here with these two churches, um, God is going to help them win the battles through our joint prayers and holding each other's hands up. That's good. Wow. That's, That's good. awesome. Amen. That's David, good. your first mission trip, tell us about it. So you can ask my wife. I'm not the best traveler. <laughs> and uh, it was a good experience. So I've never been outside the country and uh, just the different culture and, like, experiencing different people was very uh, impactful, but also just to see all the churches come together. There was probably like five different little towns we visited, and they all came to one service, and I actually got to jump on stage and play the congas, which I joke and say the spirit came down, and I just learned how to play on the spot, but I actually have taken lessons before, so... <laughs> But I, just the relationships that we brought back in the community there, I think, is pretty much like a family, and it's good to experience that at least once, I think. It's really, really exciting to be part of a congregation that believes so deeply in the work of God that you'd invest as much as you do here of your time and energy and money, but also literally around the world in India and now in Cuba. So I'm really excited over the next few months how we can explore further our partnership with these churches. And I look forward, if you've never been on a missions trip, um, it can literally change your life. Would you give it up for our representatives up here, our team members? Yeah. So good. Well, we're kicking off a brand new message series today called Shadows, Shadows. And uh, the reason we're talking about it is it's because for a lot of folks, uh, they're ramping up. There are a lot of your kids and grandkids are excited about Halloween coming up where they're going to put on some costumes and go out and get candy. And so every year this comes around, I get a few questions about Halloween and as our church all for it and stuff. And so let me just make something perfectly clear. If you're worshiping the devil, stop. All right. If you're going to go get candy, get as much as you can. I like Reese Cups. That's... <laughs> That's our official position here, all right? So I make light about that, but the truth is we're going to talk about it a little bit because in this message series called Shadows, I want to talk to you about the dark side of life for a few weeks. Now, we're not going to be discouraged about it. We're not going to wallow in it because we're made victorious through Christ, but there's a whole segment of life that Christians, at least in the United States, are pretty uncomfortable talking about. And yet the Word of God, the Bible, the source of truth, our rule of faith and practice, the Bible, the New Testament, talks an awful lot about it. For Jesus, the things we're going to talk about, these shadow realities, are very real. Very real. For the Apostle Paul, as he wrote parts of the New Testament, as he was inspired by God to do that, the realities we're going to talk about are very, very real. 
But because they're shadows, sometimes they're hard to define. They're a little messy to talk about. The Bible doesn't give us a complete and total systematic theology about everything, so there are gaps in our understanding, which makes us uncomfortable. But it's real. And so we're going to talk about it. And I'm praying that God will use this message series to speak freedom into the lives of this church and into our families. Because the truth is, is a lot of us are affected by shadow realities. It's brought a lot of pain into our lives. There are a lot of bondage in reality that has happened in this church, in families we care about, in your families, in your sons' and daughters' lives, in your siblings' lives, because of shadow realities not dealt with appropriately. And over the next few weeks, you're going to learn some tools. Like I said, we're ramping up for Halloween. I'm not one to get much into that holiday, but on occasion, I've been known to watch a few scary movies. I don't like to do a whole lot of that. Honestly, I don't sleep well. I am a man. I just don't care for scary movies. And I have a few memories that stand out. When my wife and I were dating, she's from Xenia, Ohio. I grew up mostly in southeast Tennessee. And so while we were dating, we came up one weekend to be with her family. And a few miles away from her family is where her sister and now my brother-in-law lived. And they invited us over to watch a movie. It was about this time of year. Halloween was coming up. And they thought it'd be fun to watch a scary movie. So between her parents' house and her sister's house, we passed through the typical Ohio cornfield over and over and over again. I remarked, and just in fact, like how much corn there was in Ohio. I just, you know, I'm from Tennessee. I didn't see that much. And so we get to their house, and the movie they had chosen, some of you remember this movie, was Children of the Corn. <laughs> it was horrible, friends. Scarred me. There's a character in that movie named Malachi. I'm not endorsing the movie. I'm just telling you I watched it at a season in my life. And I, by the time the movie was over, I was like white-knuckled trying to find something to hold on and remembering that my girlfriend was there. I had to impress her. And I'm a God's man of faith and power. And I was just a wreck. And so we got in the car on the way home to go back to her parents' house for the evening. And we passed through these cornfields. And I knew uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that this girl that I was dating would be my wife when quietly she began to whisper, Malachi. Malachi. <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. Uh, well, you may get the feeling as we talk about some of this today, some of those like shivery kind of moments, because the reality we're going to talk about is not a pretend movie. It's not a trumped up, you know, haunted house kind of reality meant to startle you. The truth is what we're talking about today is very, very real. And the consequences of what we're talking about are huge. Uh, the truth is, is that you're in a spiritual battle I don't know if you've known this or not. I don't know if you've thought about it or not, but guarantee you ask our friends in Cuba, they know it. That's why they so value prayer. They know that they're in a spiritual battle and nothing of eternal significance can happen without a spiritual engagement. We can do a lot of good, but we can't do anything that has eternal consequences without a spiritual engagement. I don't have the power in myself. Even as a follower of Jesus, one who believes in Jesus, I have the gift of the Holy Spirit in me. You do too if you're a follower of Jesus that allows me to walk in power wherever I go. It actually is the thing that animates my spiritual life because in myself I have nothing. On the other side of the equation, there are dark forces, shadow forces. We're going to talk about them today. In fact, I'm calling today's message an unholy trinity. The shadow forces that conspire against the work 
of God. Now, the good news is, I'm going to tell you the end of the story. The good news is, is that no matter how much they conspire against the work of God, ultimately, this unholy trinity is going to be defeated. Ultimately, every child of God, every servant of the Lord, every man and woman who's blood-bought by the blood of Christ, every one of them is going to stand victorious before Jesus. And the Father of lights, who gives all good gifts, the Bible says there's no shadow in him, that Father of lights is going to shine one day when this earth is wrapped up and every shadow is going to be destroyed. That day is coming. It's guaranteed. Guaranteed going to happen. But right now, we live in a world where shadows still operate. And there is a spiritual battle at work in your family. It's at work in your marriage. It's more than just two people trying to learn to live together. Even if you're followers of Jesus, if you're a husband who follows Jesus, you're a wife who follows Jesus, there is a battle designed at its core to destroy and make your marriage more difficult. Ultimately lead to your destruction. Uh, One of the reasons why we have to pray for the nine kids that were up here on this stage is while God has a plan for them that is good and only good and God will work everything for their good, there is another agenda for them. There is an agenda by the agent of the Shadowlands. There's an agenda of that guy that is meant for their destruction. He means to kill, steal, and destroy all good things that God has for these kids. And it would be a sad day indeed. It would be the scariest day of all if all I had to, today to do for you was to describe the shadow realities, but that's not all that we're going to do. We're going to acknowledge the shadow realities. We're going to talk about this unholy trinity, and we're going to be reminded that we have a heavenly Father that is bigger and greater than it all. And I don't know, maybe by just a quick show of hands, you could just quickly just participate very briefly. How many would say you've heard the phrase before, spiritual warfare? Would you just raise your hand real quick? Good. You can put it down. So even by saying that, for some of you, it conjures up all kinds of images. Like, like you get nervous about that. And others of you are like, finally, he's going to talk about it. And, and that's all good. We, around here, depending on your background, depending on your heritage, depending on your religious environment, depending on movies you watch and what you've read, that phrase, spiritual warfare, either conjures up biblical sound images or it can conjure up some really unhealthy images. And so today, in fact, for this entire series, we're going to set the record straight on spiritual engagement, on the spiritual warfare that you are currently involved in. Now, I'm a movie guy. I've referenced that already. I I like movies, not so much the scary stuff. Action adventure is more my thing. And one of my favorite movie series of all time was Lord of the Rings. Do I have anybody in here? Yeah, yeah, Lord of the Rings. And one of my favorite scenes in that movie is when Gandalf and Aragorn have to ride to King Théoden, and they're going to try to convince King Théoden to join the battle. And Théoden had just been released from some serious stuff, and they're trying to get Théoden to engage the battle. And they're talking about the challenges and how much they need Théoden and his troops to help. And Théoden says out loud, King Théoden says, I don't want to engage open warfare. I don't want to risk open warfare. And Aragorn, in one of the most poignant moments in the movie, he says, open warfare? You don't want to risk open warfare? Warfare is upon you whether you like it or not. And it was a turning point in the movie. Warfare is upon you whether you like it or not. The battle has come to you. And that was a line from a movie, but it's true today. The battle, the spiritual battle has come to you. It has come to your family. It's come to your parenting. It's come to your very life. You are already in the war. We're going to open up 
our eyes to it more fully today. We're going to go in our Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to go ahead and go there, on your phone, in your leather-bound Bible like the one I have up here, and primarily, if you didn't bring a Bible, aren't ready, right here on your message notes that you got when you came in. So you can grab your message notes, you can grab your Connect card, and you'll be ready to fully participate right now. When you read the New Testament, like in Ephesians, like Jesus' words, later on in 2 Corinthians we're going to look at, you're going to discover that these biblical writers believe that the spiritual warfare is a real deal. It's a big deal. In fact, when you read the Bible, the Bible gives you a balanced perspective of spiritual warfare, and it runs counter to two extremes that I see at work in our world today. There's two extremes when it comes to spiritual warfare that we have to avoid. The first extreme is to see the devil behind every rock. My favorite writer, C.S. Lewis, talks about this, and he says you have to avoid the extreme of seeing a demon behind every rock. The truth is is that the devil isn't behind everything. So if you're in college, for instance, and you miss a class, maybe you've known a person who kind of operates this way, and they miss a class, and of course when you talk to them about it, the devil made them miss the class. When in reality, what happened is they were up half the night looking at Instagram and talking to their friends. And so when their alarm went off, they just hit the snooze button too much and they the devil wasn't anywhere near that, right? But you may have known people who've blamed everything on the devil. That's an extreme to be avoided. That is not biblical. That is not accurate. The other extreme to be avoided, C.S. Lewis says, is to act like there's no devil at all. And that's the more preferred path in today's American Christianity. We don't like to talk about this guy. And I know why. One is the Bible gives us much more information about the bright side of the spiritual reality, the God side. And the truth is, is that if you understand the character of God, you pretty much know everything you need to know about the enemy, that he's not God. He's an enemy of God, but he's not equal with God. That God, by definition, is the supreme and ultimate ruler of this universe in charge. He's sovereign is our favorite word to describe that. But Jesus talked about the devil and talked with the devil. The Apostle Paul writes about these spiritual forces. And so we have to avoid seeing a devil everywhere. And we have to avoid acting like there's no devil at all. The truth is, is that there is a plan for your family. There's a plan for your kids and grandkids. There's a plan for your neighbors. By the enemy of your soul, whose entire agenda, the Bible tells us, is to kill, steal, and destroy. So I want to make it perfectly clear today. The stuff we're talking about is real. It's real. It lurks in the shadows, and one of the ploys of the enemy is for you to not even know that you have one. But you do. The other ploy is to get you so preoccupied with him that it's all you can think about. When in fact, our thoughts ultimately should be brought to Christ and to his love and whatever things are good and pure and noble. Think on these things, the Bible says. But today and for the next few weeks, I'm going to give you some tools. I'm going to help you get prepared for battle. The war that you're already in. I want to help you get prepared for, for battle so that it would be like you would, you would have loaded guns in your holster. I know that that's not a politically correct analogy to use anymore, but the Bible is full of soldier language. That you have loaded guns for battle. That you have a sword that is sharp and ready to be used. Because if you're already in a battle, the best thing I can do for you is equip you for that battle. 
Help you understand the battle. Help you see the way the enemy works. Help you understand the strategy of your heavenly father who has only good plans for you. Who is the father of light who dispenses the shadows. The best thing I can do for you is help you so that you don't go pull out the guns and try to fight. Only to discover your guns have no ammunition. You don't pull out a sword and start slinging it only to discover it's dull, too dull to really be effective. And so in the spiritual realm, there are a couple of things that become ammunition for you. They, they're like Batman's utility belt. They become tools for you to grab from time to time depending on your situation. There's the Word of God, the very truth of God that the Bible says is so sharp that it cuts to the deepest parts of life, dividing the very soul and the spirit. I mean, it gets to the core of matters and lays it bare. There's the Word of God. There's prayer. That's another part of the utility belt that we can grab hold of in this battle that we're fighting. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the Word of God. We're going to talk about prayer. There's the worship of God's people gathered together. It's kind of popular in the church world today to talk about how the church is never more than church than when it's outside the walls of the church serving the community. And there's a lot of truth to that, but it's not completely true. The church is also the church when it's in the walls, standing together as the family of God, just talking about how awesome our Heavenly Father is. We're the church in that case too. And that becomes a powerful weapon as God uses worship to turn our eyes, not just on what we see on this plane, but to turn our eyes heavenward and make us think about how awesome our Heavenly Father really is and how much greater He is than anything we see in this world. There's acts of service that serve as a tool in your utility belt in this war that we have. There's the work of the Holy Spirit in miracles, in demonstrations, in signs and wonders that make us very uncomfortable to talk about, but it's a biblical New Testament reality. And I want you to be able to engage the warfare of your life that you are already having a battle over with every tool available to you as a son or daughter of the king. You are not ill-equipped as a son or daughter of the king. You're only ill-equipped if you fail to load up your utility belt with the very tools he's given you to be ready for all the battle. Let's talk about this battle for a little bit. You've seen it. You may not have known what it was. It's when a couple gets married and they go beyond just trying to figure out what is it to live with a man or a woman who came up differently and have different goals and ambitions and different personalities. That's just a normal, natural dynamic. But in a godly home, there's a struggle that goes just beyond two people trying to make one family. There's deep, deep things that happen in the mind and in the heart between this man and woman, and some of them knit them together beautifully like one entity, one soul, and other experiences seem to literally divide a wedge and deep painful hurts. And even though apologies have been said and even though things have been done, that hurt from the past can still speak into the present. That's not just an emotional reality. That is a spiritual reality. There are deep-seated fears in some people that happened long before they got into a marriage. Experiences that happened and things that were said over them. And those things got inside of them somehow in their heart and in their mind. And now in their marriage, a little thing happens, a level two thing happens, but they respond to it as if it's a level seven, eight, or nine thing. Not just because of what just occurred, 
but because of those deep things that have happened in them, those, well, the Bible calls them strongholds. These strong places of resistance to the very work of God. These spiritual realities that have often physical connections, but what's really going on is a battle for the good work of God in the life of that couple. Parents, I don't mean to alarm you, but your children are in a spiritual battle. And what are they going to do when they are hanging around their friends and the tempter comes to them? And everybody's at the party vaping and everybody's trying to hook up and everybody's doing the thing and they don't really want to do those things, but they're feeling torn. What weapons do they have to go after? Just self-control? Just avoidance? Those are certainly tools in the tool belt. But is there any other tool for a young man or young woman today so that they grow up spiritually vital and powerful, used by God in their generation? Building a testimony of faithfulness, not just a testimony of redemption later. I want to submit to you that there is tools available to your children. And your ability to understand those tools and to leverage those tools makes a profound difference in the battle being waged for your family. There are tools available to churches. I mean, if God's doing anything in his church, if the work of God is advancing at all in the life of a church, it should not surprise anybody for there to be a spiritual pushback by the shadow forces. It shouldn't surprise anybody that the unholy trinity gets together in conference and says, how are we going to disrupt the work of God through that local body? So what tools can a church grab hold of, pull out of its utility belt to fight battles that operate in shadow worlds? That the tools of science and logic just don't always work. I don't know about you, but I come to this conversation feeling somewhat equipped and at the same time feeling not fully equipped to understand it. And I'm not sure that's not the right perspective. Because the truth is, husband, wife, mom, dad, grandparent, the truth is, is you do not have everything you need in yourself to have the spiritual battle that you need to have. You do not have in yourself everything you need to be victorious. What you need and what I need is what God gives me and the power that flows ultimately from him at work in my life. So over the next three weeks, I'm going to deal with three shadow realities that I've seen manifest itself in this church repeatedly. In conversations with families and watching things pastorally and engaging our staff and talking about the obstacles in front of us, there are three things that consistently show up and we're going to go at them directly as shadow realities. And we're going to ask the father of lights in whom there is no shadow and no variableness of turning. We're going to ask him, the giver of all good things, to shine his light on those areas and expose the darkness. We're going to regularly open up God's word and ask God to speak truth into our heart like we're going to do right now. Ephesians chapter 2, here's Paul's words to the Ephesian church where he goes beyond the pragmatics of church and he starts talking about what's happening behind the veil. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's odd language. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
We're one verse into the second chapter of Ephesians, and Paul's using some language, the one who's at work, the ruler of the air. What's going on there? What's that about? And the ways of the world. He says that there was in you a certain deadness that existed because of your separation from God because of sin. And we all, when we were dead, used to be subject to the forces of the world and the ruler of this air. But that's not all. There's another force at work. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, we were by nature deserving God's wrath. But, but... Instead of wrath, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And Paul begins to talk about our salvation, not just as something that makes our life better, but as something that literally begins to engage the spiritual battle differently than what we typically think about it. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, let's get behind this language today. If not, this will help you see some things. My hope will be it'll open your eyes a little bit. But the Bible says that you and I, before Christ, we were dead. We were powerless. We could not respond. And as such, the unholy trinity that we're going to talk about had its full reign in our lives. There was, number one on your blanks, there was the flesh, the cravings of our flesh, this is a biblical way of talking about the things that are not spiritually God-honoring, but they are fleshly gratifying. There's a way to be fleshly gratified that is spiritually honoring. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about being fleshly gratified in such a way that it actually contributes to the death of your soul and spirit. That there's this unseen part of you that is affected by your seen and unseen behavior. The flesh craves to be satisfied. Now, the flesh in and of itself is a neutral thing. It's the desire to meet your needs, to eat, uh, to have a sense of purpose, and to live a life of legacy, and to Receive a certain amount of honor appropriate a person just because you're made in the image of God. That's the flesh. It's these desires that in and of themselves aren't bad. But when the flesh has its full reign, when the flesh is not constrained by the spirit, what happens is the flesh, even though it's neutral, begins to try to manifest itself in inappropriate, unhealthy ways. So this desire for intimate connection, which is very natural, desires to be expressed in unnatural, ungodly ways. And that issue right there has plagued so many families that you know, maybe yours. That desire you have for intimate connection, the joy that comes from being connected physically and emotionally and relationally with another person, finds its fulfillment, that craving gets met outside of the bounds that God designed for intimate expression, and now pain comes to the life of that child, to that son, that daughter. Even for the Christian so some of you know the pain of this because you saw how that unrestrained fleshly expression ultimately maybe caused your parents to get a divorce. Ultimately, it built deep animosity and distrust. 
For some people, it literally brought disease. The flesh, unconstrained by the spirit, conspires in this spiritual battle to bring pain to you. God is the father of lights in whom there is no shadow or turning. Every good gift comes from him. So this flesh has its appropriate expression. But there's something in all of us that, if we're not careful, wants to express and satisfy our flesh inappropriately. But that's not all. That's just the first part of the unholy trinity. We also read in verse number two, the world, the world. Now, this is not talking about the the physical world, the globe. This is talking about the way of the world, the system of the world. And your flesh conspires against you to produce an unholy effect in your life. But the world, the very system of the world and the way things are done in the world also conspire against you. The values, the structures of this world do not lend themselves to godly outcomes and to healthy outcomes. This is why, and I'm going to step on a couple toes here. I'm sorry, but not really. This is why if you gather 15 friends around you and you start running down your spouse, and if your friends aren't Christian and they're not trying to honor God with their lives, the kind of advice you'll get as you run down your spouse will be the dumbest, stupidest stuff that's ever been spoken by humanity on the face of the earth. Because what they'll do is they'll rally around you emotionally but they're just celebrating and enhancing a worldly system. You don't like your spouse? Well, you deserve more. They don't treat you right. You shouldn't let him talk to you that way. But, and that's not coming from a place, place, place of godliness. It's coming from a place of power struggle and lording it over when God has called a man and a woman to be the greatest servants to each other. But the way of the world is never going to encourage you to live the life that God has called you to live. It's going to encourage you to battle naturally. If they speak harsh to you, guess what your job is? Speak harsher to them. In fact, before they can speak harsh to you, cut them off with your sharp wit is what you call it. The rest of us just think you're a butt. Am I right? That's the way of the world. Before they can get you, you get them. But that's not the way God called us to live. So you have your very flesh, you have the system of this world. Jesus described it this way. You have heard it said, but I say to you. This is the outline of the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye. But I say unto you, forgive. You have heard it said, if you commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you look lustfully at a woman. There's the way of the world. There's your flesh. There's the way of the world. But that's not it. This last one is the most difficult one to talk about in our modern American world. There's a very present enemy of your soul. The Bible calls him a lot of names. Each name describing some function and some way of behavior. In your blank, we'll call him Satan. He's the the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now, I'd love to explain all that that means. The problem is the Bible doesn't give me all that that means. It only gives me highlights of what that means. But there is at work in an unseen world, an enemy of your soul, call him the devil, call him Satan. And his entire plan is to kill, steal, destroy. And he will leverage the flesh and he will leverage the world. And sometimes he'll come at you directly. And if not him, his little army of imps 
Now, I know we live in a, in a rational world. I know that in this room there are people with significant advanced degrees. I know there's incredibly well-read people here. And our intellectual tradition in modern America doesn't like to talk about the realities that we're talking about right now. But hear me, hear me. This stuff is real. This stuff is real. Jesus dealt with it as if it was real. Jesus engaged the devil directly in, his, in, in, his, in that season of life where he was being tempted in the wilderness. Three times specifically. Three di distinct uh, temptations come to Jesus as he faced the devil specifically. So you have an unholy trinity at work in this world, in your life, trying to pull you away from all that God wants for you, for your family, for your kids, for your life, for our church, for this community, for our world. That's why you have to understand the battle. That's why I want to encourage you and equip you. That's why I want to give you ammunition for your holster. I want to help you sharpen your sword. Because if you're not aware then what happens is this battle you're engaged in, they have winds that you don't understand just how dramatic the winds are. You experience losses. You don't understand exactly how dramatic the losses are. But the truth is, is that some of us in our families today, we're still experiencing the pain of this spiritual battle that was never waged appropriately by our parents. And it was never waged appropriately by the faith community that we were a part of. And it was never waged appropriately, in some cases, by our grandparents. And so some of those same issues that were at work in their lives keep showing up in the succeeding generations. And God wants to break that junk. Amen. He wants to set you free from it. He wants to set you free from that stuff that was put upon you by other people, by what they spoke, how they acted, what they did in front of you, how they didn't protect and he wants to cut off the junk that comes to you because of your unspiritually disciplined fresh flesh expressions. How you satisfy those urges inappropriately. He wants to break that in you. He wants to set you free from the lies of this world that try to get you to gratify and give you, give you a sense of importance outside the bounds of God's way. And he wants you to stand tall and bright, able to look your enemy in the eye and not be swayed by his lies. That's why for the next few weeks, I want to strongly encourage you to come as we engage three recurring shadow realities that I think touch this congregation repeatedly. For some of you, as we engage them, here's what's going to happen. You literally are going to be able to load the gun for the first time ever. And you'll be able to engage directly. For others of you, you're going to load the gun, and it's not for you. But God's going to call on you in a season in your life, and you're going to be able to take what we talked about, and you're going to be able to use it for the benefit of people you care about. But i got to tell you, the battlement, the warfare we're talking about, this is not normal war warfare, even though I'm using the metaphor of gun and sword. These are spiritual realities. Amen. And God has to waken us up to them. And the thing about God is, even though he can, even though he has all authority, even though at the end of the day his will is going to be accomplished, God tends to not bust the door down to make things happen. He tends to cooperate in the very natural rhythms of life saying, I want you to follow me, follow me. And he gives you an opportunity to do that. I want you to step up here, step up here, and he gives you an opportunity to do that.
I want you to submit here, submit here, and he gives you an opportunity to do that. He tends not to just bust the door down and come barging into our lives. And so spiritual warfare, in one sense, is about bowing up and being strong as long as you understand that the whole time you do it, what you're really doing is you're submitting to the strength of your heavenly Father and to the tools he's given you to use. It won't come intuitively across the board. In fact, it'll take a while for you to engage spiritual warfare in a way that it becomes intuitive. The first several steps you make, it's going to feel awkward. It's like when I was in middle school and we had a school dance. Now, I grew up in a legalistic environment, and we challenged people to never commit adultery because it might lead to dancing. That's about the truth, friend. And so we had this school dance, and I begged my parents. They finally relented. The problem was I had no idea how to dance. Now, before you now is a man who knows his stuff, but I'm not going to show you. You just have to trust me. But there was a season when I didn't know anything. And so I'm with a couple, you know, friends, a couple female, a couple guy friends, and we're all nervous about the dance. One or two of them could dance. And, man, when I got the first time and I'm doing the thing, I felt so stupid. Right? So you know what happened that first dance? I stood like a wallflower. Typical middle school dance. And then just to make it right, I started talking to the buddy next to me about how stupid all those people out there were. When, in fact, I wanted more than anything to be one of those stupid people out there. So what we did is we got together again, another dance comes up, and got together, and I got a little bit more comfortable. But the first few times I did it, man, it was just weird and foreign and odd to me. It's like the first few times I started praying with my wife. Well, I pray. But when I started praying with her and having her pray with me, it was just new. And so it just felt odd. In fact, it felt so odd we didn't really want to do it. But then you press through. And you learn the dance. You learn the engagement of spiritual warfare. Let me give you a couple more blanks that make this harder. Because we were dead spiritually, that's your blank. We didn't have the ability to see through the bondage that we were in. So one of the reasons why this whole subject is foreign is because for years we were dead to the reality. But there's a big, big, big but that happened. But Christ has set us free from sin and death. And he has awoken us. He, he, he's brought us alive to him. And he's helped us to be able to see and to sense spiritual realities. So in another letter, Paul wrote to the New Testament church. He writes these words, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 in your message notes. For though we live in the world, that's the world systems, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let's talk about what a stronghold is in your message notes. A stronghold is anything that exists, anything that exalts itself in our minds, pretending to be bigger or more powerful than God. It's to be an addiction. It can be an unforgiveness towards a person. It can be despair over a loss. Almost anything can become an open door and ultimately a stronghold. Now, if you were in a city trying to defend yourself from, on, you know, from onslaught and attack from without, a stronghold was a wonderful thing because it was a defensive posture, typically a tower built. It's, 
Very much the imagery of the children of Israel marching around the walls of Jericho, these big walls, knowing they can't get in because the stronghold of the walls were a good defense. And if you're in defensive posturing, a stronghold is a wonderful thing. But as followers of Jesus, we're called to be on the offensive. And we're supposed to be battling the forces of darkness. The Bible says when we do, the the gates, which are the defensive weapon of the enemy, will not withstand the onslaught of our offensive attack. See, we're not supposed to just hope to get your family to heaven. Mom and dad, you're supposed to wage war and be offensive in the onslaught of the attack of the enemy on your life. And then when you do that, on occasion, when you're on the offensive side, you're going to see a stronghold, a tower set up that will block your way. And it can be It can be exhausting to think about. It can be overwhelming to think about how deep that problem is and how persistent it shows up and how it wants to block the offensive move of God, the positive forward momentum of God. But the Bible says that through Christ we are made strong to tear down strongholds. In fact, every argument that sets itself up against the truth of who God is, we're made strong in Christ to tear down those lies. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to show you three big areas and exactly how it is that we're made powerful through Christ through the tearing, for the tearing down of strongholds. And I don't want to false prophesy. You know, in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, prophets were very careful to give false prophecies because if they give a false prophecy, they got stoned. So it used to be very cautious to say God told me something. Very cautious. The stakes are very high. So I'm going to be very careful here. But I believe in my heart of hearts, that over the next few weeks, there are going to be some families in this room that are going to be set free from some generational junk. I really do. I really believe in my heart of hearts that some of us are going to have our spiritual eyes open and you're going to be given tools to help you deal with the spiritual realities. You've already known about the physical, earthly reality, but you're going to see for the first time some of the spiritual realities of what's really going on. And we're going to go at it head on. We're going to go at it head on. So here's the thing. Today's really just an introduction, but the next few weeks we're going to battle. And I want to challenge you to go on this journey with me. See, here's the truth, the last message in your message notes. Our God is stronger than strongholds. He's stronger. Anything that sets itself up against the will and the work of God, God is greater Yeah, the devil is the enemy of God, but the devil is not the equal of God. God is stronger. The God in you greater is he who is in you than he who is at work in the world. The Bible talks about the spirit of God being able to constrain and to rein in the will of the flesh, being spirit-led versus flesh-led. And ultimately, our Bible tells us that our enemy is going to be bound and cast into utter darkness for eternity. Ultimately, the unholy trinity is going to be destroyed. But you don't have to wait to the end of time. You can rise up as a son or daughter of God now with the truth that he's given you, with the tools he's given you, and we can begin to wage war. You do not have to hope without engagement that your sons and daughters turn out okay. You do not have to hope without engagement, just hope alone that everything's going to work out in your favor. No, you can engage the battle. But you might have to use some tools that you're not used to using. I'm going to teach you how to do some of that. I'm going to teach you how to engage some of these spiritual warfare realities. 
So we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about it. I might take a fourth week and talk about one of the most powerful spiritual warfare passages, I think, in the Bible. I don't know. Make up my mind. But I want to be honest with you, if you'll just let me be vulnerable for a second. I can't do this by myself. I don't have it all. I need two things. I need the Lord's power, the Holy Spirit to work through me. So if you don't pray for your pastor, I need you to pray for me. And the other thing is, I can't do it without men and women of God standing around me, supporting me. See, I'm supposed to be part of an army. I'm not a rogue agent. I don't do well as a rogue agent. No, no Christian does well as a rogue agent. We do well as army. Men and women joined together, small battlements, fighting. And what I would like for you to do for me personally, just in a very selfish way, just pray for me, for clarity, for boldness, for wisdom, but ultimately for spiritual breakthrough. And then secondly, stand with me as we go after three recurring shadow realities that keep showing up in this place. In fact, we're not unique. They show up all over the place. They're on our culture. They're in our world. But I'm sick of seeing them here. And I'm sick of people I love having their families, their generations, and their destinies negatively impacted because the flesh, the world, or the devil has had a heyday in their life. And I think that it's okay if we stand up as sons and daughters of God and say we're tired of this and we're ready for the Lord to stand up and be God in those areas. And I'm just wondering if you're bold enough to do it with me. I wonder if there's stuff in your life that you're sick and tired of. And yeah, there's some physical things you can do, like, you know, maybe some exercise, rein in your tongue, set your alarm clock. But at the end of the day, there's a spiritual reality that's just making all those things harder than they should be. And maybe you bought into some of the lies of the world that this is how you get satisfied and this is how you get fulfillment and this is how you feel awesome about yourself. And you already know the pain of having some of those fiery darts of the enemy do its burning effect on your life and you're sick of it. And you're sick of the lies from Satan, the father of lies, the accuser, the peddler of guilt, speaking over you, reminding you of your past all the time, the past that's been covered by the blood of Christ, and you're ready to silence him. And it requires a certain boldness on your part. And I hope you'll do it with me. Right now, we're going to take out our Connect cards. You began to fill it out earlier in the service. It looks like this. And we're actually going to take a step or two together. And then we're going to... We're going to bow our heads in prayer right after that, and we're going to ask God to go ahead and begin to do his Holy Spirit work in us. So it could be that right now you're not yet in a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says you can change that in a moment, that those of us who were dead but now are made alive in Christ, you understand what I'm talking about. There came a moment when you said to Jesus, I will trust the work of Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection. I'll trust in that alone to save me. The only opportunity I have to be a child of God is nothing I can do, but it is to trust the work that Jesus did for me. The Bible says if you'll trust that work, that God will wrap his arms around you. He'll usher you in as an adopted son or daughter. He will make you move from the category of spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And I'd love for you to take your pen and check next step A if that's you. And in a minute, I'm going to pray and give you a chance to say to God, God, wash me clean of every sin. I want to follow you with my life. I'm ready to be raised to life with Christ. Our next step B today, I'm choosing to be baptized. If you want to be baptized in this place where we celebrate what God has done in the burial of people and in the raising to life of people, there's the action. They're dead to self and to sin, and they're raised to life in baptism. If that's you, check the box. We start the conversation by the checked box.
We'll answer your questions and get you signed up for one of the next couple baptisms. Next step C is something we've talked about here. A lot of times it says, I'll make chair time a priority. Chair time is when you take the first 15 minutes of your day, you sit in the same place, and you open up the Word of God. The Bible calls it the sword of truth. You open up the Word of God, and you submit yourself to its teaching. And the truth is, is for some of us, before we even go all the way deep into spiritual warfare, you just need to spend more time in the Word of God. And if that's you, commit to chair time. I'll send you the little encouragement about chair time we do around here and give the first 15 minutes of your day, about five chapters in the Word of God and see what God doesn't do to help you understand and engage the spiritual realities around you as you do it. Now next up, D says, for the next four weeks, I'll make engaging the Shadows Message series a priority. I know things happen. I know we have a lot of guests in the room. You can't do this. You can jump online and see it. But to the best of your ability, if you can, I'd love for you to make the next four weeks a priority around here. As a church, we engage spiritually dark things. I'm tired of them. And I'm ready to see the Father of light shine on them. And I hope you'll go with me. And the next step, E, says, I'll be here for Four Seas Worship Night. This Wednesday at 7 p.m. right in this room. It's for your entire family. No child care. Just show up and we'll worship our great God together. Now what we're going to do right now is we're going to prepare as a church to give back to God a portion of what he's blessed us with. This is actually an act of worship. It really is. One of the, one of the, um, the spiritually dark forces, one of the shadow realities we're going to deal with is fear. And particularly the way fear shows up with money. So the number one thing that happens in marriages around here is arguments and frustration around money. It's the most recurring thing that shows up in our prayer requests. It's the most recurring thing that shows up in counseling. And we're going to tackle it head on. And at the root of the money thing often is a fear thing. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible says that God is not the author of fear and perfect love drives out fear. So we're going to take a whole week and talk about how the enemy has used fear with money to bring destruction to families. And for some of you, you're going to see for the first time a dynamic you've never seen. And you're going to be equipped to deal with the shadows with light. But as we do that, I want you to know there's no better environment to do that in than right here. You're surrounded today, if you're our guest, by people who are incredibly generous. And they give to the work of God in profound ways. They literally support churches in Cuba and India and right here. There are, you know, a couple hundred kids today in fifth grade and down, right on the other side of that wall, hearing about the love and the truth of Jesus. Those kids that were on the stage, they're not going to be able to contribute at all to our budget. But you do because you believe they are worth investing in. And I'm just grateful to be a part of that. We're going to take some steps we're going to give in our offerings, and we're going to ask God in this prayer to begin to do his work, his work of light, driving away shadows even now. Would you bow with me? Father, I want to thank you that you are, as your word declares, the father of lights. There is no shadow in you. There is no turning in you. You're the giver of all good gifts. Father, today I pray that we would begin to take steps to break strongholds. That in our hearts right now, there'd be a receptivity to your truth. No matter where we're coming from, no matter our theological background, we would just be open to the full work of your spirit. God, I pray that by your spirit, you'd begin to illuminate dark places in our lives. And as you do it, you would quiet the lie of the enemy that would seek to bring condemnation and guilt. And instead of those things, there would be repentance and freedom. 
that comes as we submit to the light that you bring. Father, the truth is, is there are families here in this church, there are families listening online, and there are strongholds at work in their family dynamic, and it has brought pain and dysfunction to them for far too long. And we want you to equip us, Father, with every heavenly equipment that we need to do battle spiritually. I pray you would ready our hearts to come over the next few weeks and receive, to come humbly, to come teachable, to come open, and to come as bona fide children of the King, tired of living in squalor, ready to rise up and take our seats beside our good Father. God, I pray for our offering today and our next steps, that you would make them go far and wide for your good, for your kingdom's glory, not for ourselves. God, would you take our steps and our gifts, and would you do mighty things? And I join with the men and women who are declaring right now, Jesus, wash away my sins. Cover me by your shed blood. I have nothing to bring you, so I trust only in your death and resurrection to save me. Be the Lord of my life. Father, would you break the shadows in this congregation by your mighty hand. I pray it in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.